Hello. Welcome to Breakfast at Cinema's podcast series Cinema My Child and Me where Abhinav and Shibangi share film recommendations appropriate for all ages and some ideas on how to use this collective film viewing experience to help initiate conversations with your children or students to help them learn in a fun manner. We would like to state that this podcast is meant to be a guide for parents or teachers to engage with children in a different way. While we are going to be careful about recommending movies appropriate for all ages, we request you to explore these films by yourself first to check for anything which may trigger a difficult or unpleasant emotion in your children because of very specific circumstances. The films we talk about here are our personal selections for each episode's theme. Cinema My Child and Me was created on Hubhopper Studio. If you wish to start your own podcast for free, visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Hubhopper is India's leading podcast creation platform. Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and get your voice heard across platforms like Spotify, Gaana, Google Podcast, Wink Music and more. Click on the link in the episode description or visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Visit hubhopperstudio.com. Hello, we are back for this new episode about Tim Burton's 1990 classic Edward Scissorhands, and talk about what it is like stepping out into the world and interacting with new people, new customs, new surroundings, and new perceptions as we grow up and begin new adventures. is a tricky time it is a whole wide world out there and there are questions about everything with very few people to approach and ask those questions edward scissorhands is one such boy who was created by an inventor in a solitary old gothic mansion away from the main town the inventor taught him a lot of things but died just before he could give him human hands so edward with scissors for hands continues to live in the mansion scared hungry and lonely enter the town's most pleasant avon saleswoman peg tired of being rejected by the women of her suburbia she decides to try her luck selling avon cosmetics to the residents of the dark and broken down mansion that looks over their colorful town there she meets edward immediately feeling compassion for the boy who has clearly not had food seen other people or been able to take care of himself her whole neighborhood seems to welcome edward with open arms their confusion about his special hands dismissed when he begins to trim their hedges style their hair and groom their dogs edward even feels romance tug at his heartstrings when he meets kim peg's daughter and he harbors a secret love for her then one day edward gets falsely accused of committing a crime and things take an ugly turn thereon this is a fantasy romance film almost a modern fairy tale if you will drawing from gothic and expressionistic influences it is not a horror film but there are dark elements which are more thought provoking than scary the film is a look at the angst ridden time of teenage more so how people react to uniqueness of any kind edward is unique because of his hands and his talents with him 
But are they all he needs for the town to integrate him and love him as one of their own? We hope to be able to pore over these thoughts in detail as we proceed. Edward Scissorhands is a much-loved film and continues to remain relevant because of its universal themes of adolescent angst, acceptance, self-discovery and isolation. Please note that while we recommend the film for children over 15 years of age, we reiterate that parents should view the film to make their own judgment about its suitability for age. The 100-minute movie is available to stream on Disney Plus Hotstar in India. Abhinav, take us through your first impressions about the movie, please. The weirdest time of our life, arguably, is our teenage. The body goes through changes, the mind is confounded by changing demands of adulthood and still continuing orders from our childhood. Heroes are shattered and new role models are found or the search begins for those role models. Personality clashes within oneself and these help define the dominant aspect of our own self. And these are just some of the challenges that a teenager faces. It is a time of chaos and destruction, followed by the arrival of the spring of adulthood. In all this, as the child maneuvers this chaos and crosses over to adulthood, an event or a combination of them marks the threshold, on either side of which the child is either a child or an adult. He negotiates his lived experiences with the world around and comes out on the other side a defined individual. The biggest space to negotiate is the weird in oneself and finding the sinking of that weird with the world. Edward Scissorhands deftly presents this battle and chaotic time from the adolescent's point of view. This is the story of a teenager managing in a new world all by himself while harnessing his so-called weirdness. And by staying on the child side of the spectrum, the film becomes a fable, a fairy tale with a magical quality reminding us how we as children viewed the world around us. This is a journey of finding what is special about you, honing this speciality and finding comfort in that speciality which is uniquely yours. This is a phenomenal film that when it released divided critics and audiences alike but has come today to be one of the top films that children must watch before they pass over to adulthood. One of the first things that struck me was the stark difference between the appearances of the bright and multi-hued town with its bright homes, well-manicured lawns, clean streets and beautiful sunny weather and the dark and dilapidated gothic mansion overlooking the town. When we see this visual contrast for the first time clearly in Peg's view in her side mirror, you know when that time when she has been rejected by all the women to whom she has gone and approached for a sales call? And then she's tired, she's sitting in a car and she just happens to look at the side view mirror and there it is, there we see that image for the first time. It's almost as if there are dark and grey clouds swirling on top of the mansion because of which it looks grey, broken, scary. It's ominous. Untended bushes, a rusty gate half open. Yes, it is ominous. And then just below that you see a town that is bright, sunny, beautifully coloured. And then you immediately begin to imagine, oh my God, why should a woman from such a good, such a happy place go into a place where there is bound to be some kind of morbidity, something to do with death, something to do with decay. But we realize that all that's colorful, bright and sunny isn't necessarily happy. So basically all that glitters is not gold. I think it's a very interesting point, even though we will get into the technical aspect and talk about this later on. 
but if one has to really put a label on how this film is presented to us it is the state of mind of edward scissor hands the yeah. teenage boy who if you look at it whatever he has not experienced is bright sunny yes. uh, calling out to him and what he has experienced has brought pain to him is dark it's gloomy it's spelling a doomsday scenario around him pretty much tells us pretty much depicts us the state of mind of this teenager who is battling with happiness on one hand because simple things can still give him pleasure like a butterfly fluttering about but on the other hand is dealing with much bigger themes of life like the passing away of his creator or his father and this contrast of his mind the shattering of so many aspects of his life that he has lived so far and the new life that he is looking forward to is presented brilliantly in this film and one more thing this film's idyllic suburbs the bright colors the pop candy feel of this town this suburb reminds us is a film which we would not recommend young viewers to watch a film called blue velvet which looks at american suburbs as a dystopia yes. as this false heaven where all sorts of things go wrong yeah. and in this film it's a teenage boy's exploration of that suburbia that very happy, dangerous yeah very happy middle class american lives which is very dangerous also yeah the visual quality of this film repeatedly reminds us of the confusions of a teenage mind the contradictions in a teenager's mind about what his father has told him versus what the world is all about about the way he has grown up getting educated versus how he is seeing people doing transactions on the streets and this contradiction is brilliantly located in this visual world of uh, edward scissorhands the other thing i noticed i'm i'm sure it has to be by design because when edward has the misfortune of having to go to the police station and he is also evaluated by a psychiatrist who's also a white person you don't see many non white people in the whole movie a comment on the suburbia of america yeah we don't know how inclusive it is really when edward is evaluated by a psychiatrist who's also a white man he ends up sort of implying that things with edward are not the way a normal human mind should be quote and quote normal yes so the only other person at that police station who has any inkling or any idea of how edward who has probably had very few positive influences in his life must be feeling is someone from another marginalized community it is a black cop who has also probably lived away from everything bright and happy and dealing with a lot of gray and dark corners in his own mind even later in the movie when edward is being chased around by the other townsfolk the cop is seen to be looking out for edward and amid all that pandemonium it is nice to see a person completely unrelated to the other sets of events happening showing compassion towards edward it actually means that the cop is an empathetic person it's very interesting to note this i might be absolutely wrong in this analysis but one way i look at how people grow up there are people in the margins and there are people in the center the people in the center also negotiate the same sets of problems that people on the margins negotiate they also experience the same kinds of feelings the same kind of confusions and so on but as they grow up they forget this challenge that they have gone yeah. through whereas the people on the margins remember the challenge always and i think that is the huge difference in what forms the general middle class versus the people who want to revolutionize or who want to change the world around them it's the people on the margins who decide to change the world right from the beginning if you look at peg for example in a way she is also on the margin yeah yeah she is so this this entire thing is playing out in a way where it is repeatedly telling us that the people who were violated earlier 
should remember the violence against them and should say that no more from me. What are the themes that stood out for you, Abhinav? We have already spoken about a few of the themes earlier. Let me begin by the first one that I have sort of really thought it is the central focus of this film. One is the fact that this is Pinocchio. This is a story of a wooden boy who wants to become real. He does become real. We all know Pinocchio. Pinocchio is this wooden puppet created by a master. Similar story to what happens to Edward Scissorhands. He's created by a master. He's literally baked in an oven. He has got the heart of a cookie. There are these scenes where you see how dough is baked and Edward Scissorhand gets uh, different body parts. And uh, it's the hand which never was finished or rather the maker passed on before he could give the hands to him. I think the hands here become the heart in the Pinocchio story where we see Edward going through the motions, going through the world and finding a way to manage his heart when he comes back eventually to the castle. I mean, if we have to look at it from the point of view of the wooden boy finding love and therefore becoming the real boy, it is also the story of a weird, quote-unquote weird, because I personally believe that the weirder you are, the better it is for the world. It's the weird that brings about changes in the world. So when we get to hear this word as teenagers, we need to take a pause and say, I am doing something which is making a dent in the psyche of the other person. So continue to be that weird is my recommendation. Continue to be that weird is the recommendation of the film as well, I think. You know what? When I see Edward and I see how socially awkward he is, it is because he has never met anybody else. Absolutely. And even though he knows how to hold a conversation or how to respond to questions or how to be as appropriate as possible for a creation that is not a natural creation per se. Now, when we look at Edward we can feel that his biggest, biggest desire in life is to be able to touch the people he Absolutely. loves. He cannot touch the inventor. He cannot touch Kim. He cannot express his thanks to Peg by touching her. The basic touch, you know, even a shaking of the hands or even a hug or even just patting somebody's shoulder. None of that is something that Edward can do. And while he is trying to socialize and become part of the whole town, this very important aspect of not being able to touch people is what constantly makes him realize how different he is from the others. And being touched or touching someone is an act of love. Which Absolutely. is something that the hero, Edward, keeps missing all his life. So when you talk about how he and Pinocchio are similar in that sense, yes, Pinocchio cannot feel touch because he doesn't have a real heart. So he cannot feel the emotional touch as well. And whereas while Edward can feel all sorts of things emotionally, he cannot express it physically. Absolutely. So both these manifestations of touch in both these characters is an interesting similarity that you've brought out. And I think it's also very interesting to note the fact that his touch is bloody. It's violent. If we sit and keep talking about this film, everything about this film is so subtle because you can't explicitly tell too many things to teenagers as well. This is a very difficult topic of conversation for parents, for children, for everybody, irrespective of which culture you belong to, I think. So from that point of view, the weird, I'm repeatedly using this word because I want the weird to become normal. So the weird in your body, the weird in your mind, the weird in your artistic expression, the weird in your language, all of that which is ridiculed by others is accepted by Edward in the end. This journey of the weird to first say that I'm weird 
I will take that weirdness out in the world and experiment with the world. Yeah. And then when I see that the world might or might not accept it, I come back and say, "This weird is mine. I accept it, and I will work with it." And that entire journey is the journey of an artist, also, which connects with Tim Burton's life as well. This film can go in so many directions, but essentially, if I have to really put it out there, it's the journey of an introvert to say that I'm okay being an introvert. I have experienced the world. and i will make my choices as far as that world is concerned oh and that is such a great sort of vindication for me because it took me a long long time to accept my introvertedness while i think i can balance both sides of my personality pretty well depending on circumstances it took me a while to understand just being seen as somebody who's not too social is not a bad thing necessarily i like my space i like my time with myself and therefore when i see edward you know being an example for a lot of young viewers I find it a really nice thing. So another theme that I would just step into because I think it's connected. The way children look at parents and role models. Yes. And that again connects with this entire idea or definition of what is weird, what is not weird, what is normal, what is not normal. And I think the film repeatedly tells us be comfortable in whatever you are doing and grow up with that. That becomes your strength. You are a painter paint don't let others tell you that you need to become a doctor you are a painter that's what you are and i think that is the reason why this film stands the test of time because it maneuvers these areas and says that you as a child can find your own answer find your own role models find your own kind of people and find your own comfort and space as you navigate the world and that is something that we see edward doing so well he Absolutely. understands who is with him who is without him he's polite to everybody he's civil with everybody yeah. but he completely understands who are the people who actually take care of him he understands that not everybody has perfectly pure friendly motivations for being nice to him in fact he reads and he understands even before the case of burglary for example he knew much before the burglary begins that it is his friend's house but he is going in following peer pressure and understanding it very well and he does tell kim that i did it i knew what i was doing but i did it because you asked me to yeah and that is when kim realizes how much influence she holds and that kind of power which she has inadvertently misused or abused and she feels so sorry about it i actually like that scene i actually like the character of kim because she's shown to have not just sensitivity she also has a conscience that tells her where she needs to make a change in the path she's going on in fact kim's journey is also very interesting she's on the other side from yeah. where an edward scissor hand is viewed as a weird person to the other side where she normalizes edward scissor hands yes. for her own granddaughter this entire journey is very interesting as far as kim is concerned and one more thing shibangi you mentioned earlier when you talked about how peg goes to the castle for the first time yeah this i think is tim burton's classic reinforcement of the idea that a mother ventures where no other living being dares to the mother in this case peg who becomes the adoptive mother of edward mm. scissor hands steps into edward's world does get scared when she sees the scissors in place of fingers and digits right her motherly instinct steps in and she says this is a boy i need to take care of him like i take care of my own boy and that motherly instinct is what brings edward out of this shell of his literally as well because it's the shell of the castle where he's living in is the shell of a house which had a family earlier to this world which is vibrant which is exciting but which needs somebody to hold his hands in mm. so when he finds that hand with peg the motherly hand he extends his scissors 
very carefully in her directions and walks with her this journey of this mother from this point to later where i think shibangi you will talk about yeah. it at some point so yeah this journey of of the mother as well is very very interesting and which is why i think we need to talk about the kind of role models that are presented in the film for example the black cop that you talked about in fact when we look at parents as role models abhinav let's also not forget that the only people who are genuinely nice to edward are the people who live in that household who have brought edward over absolutely. into their home absolutely they are the only people who do not want anything extraordinary to happen in their lives because edward is there he they do not want anything in return they just want to be able to take care of him and, you know basic courtesy in return and, that's and help, all and help him find ways in which he can maneuver the world absolutely and so therefore when you see you just talked about peg's sensitivity in how she saw she got scared when she met edward for the first time but her motherly instinct and her sensitivity and compassionate nature took over absolutely you see the same thing happening with kim as the movie you know follows you see the same thing happening with the boy who's still probably too young to have these questions of ethic and a full fledged personality available to him yet but he also is sort of nice to edward absolutely in yeah? fact the entire family is the very nice to just like how a family is nice to the troubled teenager in the house yes exactly now you look at kim's boyfriend jim whose father we never meet him but exactly. through but yeah. through jim we get to know he's strict he has too many rules he probably does not give jim the kind of attention he needs at this age he's also at an age where he's extremely turbulent Absolutely. everything is turbulent in the head now when that happens we see jim trying to get back at his parents yeah the kind of parents the children have are the kind of people they turn into is what we see in this movie i would go to the extent of saying it is a generalized statement if the parents are not careful because if we are not careful we have spoken about it in earlier episodes also if your child is not seeing you read a book there's no way your child is going to pick up a book and start reading it it's very very difficult and then if you want them to start reading you have to present them with better role models if you can't be that role model and yeah. i think that is a very important point when we are talking about parenting and role models as far as this film is concerned interestingly there aren't great role models for the other children also so what exactly. happens in the town in the end where we are driven towards uh, actually uh, we don't see that any of the other neighbors have children yeah. or we don't meet the parents of any of the other children or even hear about Precisely. them we see just these two parent and children sex and i think that's also a comment on that generation that birthed a tim burton absentee parents and children grew up similar to what happened with steven spielberg in, and we see the reflection of that in a film called et we see that happen with martin scorsese films and i'm not saying it's a bad thing parents who are absent because they had to work hard and bring the bread home so that trade off happened from that point of view you see that this suburban world has absent parents or whichever parent is around could be confused also about how they are taking care of their children you did mention and i absolutely agree it is a love story i watched this film many many years ago when i was myself a teenager i think and watched it in the great days of indian cable television when cinema good cinema was available on indian television so i watched this for the first time and i got very confused thoroughly interested in the film but very confused it took me a long time to resolve what this film really means but if i have to stick to one definition of what this film is about that definition would be what is teenage love the film goes through multiple cycles and explains to us why or how we can fall in love at that particular age so if i have to look at for example how kim is with edward their first interaction is very very ugly ugly from the point of view of teenage 
children you know how when a teenage child's bedroom is taken away to and given to another teenage child what the kind of fights that they would have and then if you step in and start looking at it like we say when you begin arguments when you spend time with people you fall in love that's exactly what happens between these two characters they spend time with each other they are present at specific important moments of their lives and that is the reason why they start exchanging thoughts with each other and that progression of exchange of thoughts leads to falling in love with people in fact very importantly this film places emphasis on the idea that teenage love is about finding comfort with each other it's not just about all those things that happen in a relationship in an adult world without trying to mince my words it's not just about the physical aspects of it it is about trying to find a different person who can give comfort which is not similar to your parents and that is a very important journey parents must understand it and must find ways in which this journey can be navigated you know what you're saying connects directly to one of the themes that i found pretty interesting in the film kim has a boyfriend jim she first is seen coming back from a trip with her whole group of friends jim yeah. is also one of them there are also several clues which say that jim and kim they are sexually active with each other jim wants to have a van precisely for that purpose later on when jim begins to feel that kim is not fully attentive towards him as she was earlier and some of her attention may be diverting towards edward he becomes a very angry person christmas eve when everybody else is supposed to be at kim's home for a party he is sitting in a van drinking with his friend and he's planning how to bring down edward and how to make his life miserable just because kim has just broken up with him after realizing that he's not the nicest guy around he does not see what he's doing wrong he just sees his girlfriend is not him he constantly talks about you can't take my girl away from me when he's talking like that there is a sense of ownership that he is bringing in there is a sense of like you know she belongs to me and this is a very toxic understanding of what relationships are about he is also constantly trying to tell her you know let's get a van let's get a van and she's reluctant to bring it in to the wrong means she doesn't know how to say no to it but there's also clearly somebody who always has the upper hand in this relationship and that is jim kim always seems to be you know somebody who says okay Going let's with go the with the flow <clears throat> then finally when kim has already sent jim packing and she comes and she and edward express their love for each other by just being with each other and then edward wants to hug her but he is so scared he says i cannot touch you i cannot hold you which is so contrasting to how jim is treating exactly jim is constantly holding her yeah. shaking her trying to hurt her Lifting trying to her. and then kim understands this difference she sees this difference between what she has been experiencing with jim and what edward is telling her now she takes edward's arms and carefully puts it around herself she wraps herself in edward's hands and i think in a very implicit in a very nice way the director has told us what ownership and consent in relationships is all about it connects to a very important point especially for i'm saying this for indian audiences who have grown up on hindi cinema we have heard this very often in hindi films mera pehla pyar my first love becomes such an important phenomenon in hindi cinema that we don't understand that the first love is almost always meant to fail in fact because the first love happens at such an early age if it succeeds you're bound to get trapped in a very confusing sort of world you remind me of what my dad told me when i first started cycling 
he said it's great if you're not falling and getting into accidents but unless you fall you don't really know how to ride a bicycle Precisely. so unless you fail in love you don't know how to manage a relationship Absolutely. and i think a lot of people would agree with that from that point of view kim changes her decision and moves from jim who was a abrasive personality to edward as far as her affections were concerned and this dynamism of your choice making is something that is very very important to love as a concept yes even if kim would not have reciprocated edward's affections she was perfectly well within her rights to do that yes. and we would have felt sorry for edward but that by no means would have become something to point fingers at kim for the other theme i observed in the film and that really does not need a lot of explanation is how we treat anybody that is different from us first we see peg go from door to door selling cosmetics nobody buys them in fact people are also rude to her the moment they see peg bring edward back home they don't know who this mysterious boy is and they are all interested in him and it's very very scary how perverse their interest in him is it's very sinister they all want something from him in exchange they either want to make friends with him because he is unique and he will attract eyeballs or they want something else from him in the case of joyce it is really ugly she she wants him as a boy toy which is also a difficult subject to talk about with children but i think this film does a great job of laying the groundwork from where you can segue into a conversation very easily but yeah anybody who's different from us is always under the scanner is always ready to be targeted is always ready to be accused for things that they have not done and that is exactly what we see happen with edward i will not go into this too much the movie is pretty self explanatory in that i'll just pick two points here uh, we have spoken about cycles of violence earlier when i connected directly with the treatment of somebody who is not like me when i go to that extent look at what the black cop is doing look at what peg is doing look at what kim is doing they must have been or have been given a violent touch by the rest of the world kim is definitely at the receiving end of the violence from jim we see peg having received all sorts of insensitive behavior insensitive behavior as you rightly said then we see how these characters some of these characters choose to step away from that violence and chart a new pathway you also spoke about the perverse viewpoint with which everybody looks at edward when peg brings him home and i can connect it directly because right at the same time when the neighbors are pushing for this party to happen where they can get to meet edward the children are taking edward for a show and tell and that contrast makes us understand how a classroom of students who are sitting and watching something being explained to them turn that knowledge later into a way of violence when those children will grow up they will also be part of the same suburb they will also turn into the same mob later on and will chase after another weird bigfoot or yeti or whatever else chase after them and you know turn them into dark corners of the world yeah so That's- basically anybody who's different gets stared at yeah gets asked weird questions like does it hurt yeah I have a doctor would you like to meet them I mean we don't know whether that person has ever expressed an interest in yeah. changing themselves during a program where he's being interviewed on TV Edward is asked if you would change yourself that wouldn't make you different anymore people wouldn't like you for who you are and that is such a strange comment i thought it is his absolute right to want to be like everybody else to have hands to feel everybody else to be able to touch things but at the same time i also found it so strange that she's telling him this is why people love you why do you want to give this away i think that entire thing puts in this complex conversation bang in the middle right wherein growing up you have to give up certain things from your childhood yeah 
now if you give up those things from your childhood and you grow up you become like everybody else who has grown up right and then you are no more the child so this contradiction is precisely what teenagers maneuver where they are asked to become responsible agents where they are asked to become more aware of the world around them but on the other hand they are also reprimanded the moment they extend that welcome a little more by telling them that you are not yet a grown up you are a child you need to follow the rules of oh my that was the biggest problem i faced in my teenage years when i did something of my own volition i was told who asked you to take this call yeah you're not that grown up enough that you can take this call yet and when i did something silly when i made a mistake i was always told why aren't you responsible enough you're a grown up now so i never knew whether i was a grown up or a child and those years of my life when i was navigating this time and this age it was a very messy time in my head because i didn't know what to expect from myself at that time so and from this theme we again go back to the theme where we discussed most people always look for what they can get from you materially in exchange for what they do for you it is a lesson for us to be able to look for those who actually care for us without any vested interest the shattering of the father figure is a very important phenomenon psychologically speaking as well in a human being's development you see clearly here the inventor dies that is the shattering till that time till the time the inventor the maker has been taking care of edward edward had no reason to step out in the world even if the world was attractive to him because whatever his needs were were getting fulfilled at the hands of his inventor but the moment the inventor died in this case here the father figure dies literally but in other cases as would happen in almost all teenage uh, growth stories you have to shatter the idea of your father being the hero because it's the teenage years when you first realize that your father is a man yeah he's a human being he's dealing with the world just like you are now learning to deal with it and he will go through his own ups and downs just like you are learning to go through it so from that point of view it is very important to then move on and find newer role models actively seek them out yourself otherwise you'll get trapped with difficult things or things that are not desirable for you to emulate in the world right chivan let's move on to the next section we are going to talk about the technical aspects tell me what stood out for you it's a technically almost a perfect film it stands in many many lists of great films made so yeah shibangi both of these are tim burton trademarks the first one is his collaboration with danny elfman danny elfman has i think given music for almost all of his movies and danny elfman considers this to be his most personal work and it is a huge achievement for him the background score is melodious it is very interesting it has the same gothic influences that are there in the visuals and we will go there in a minute the whole background score for edward scissorhands was composed by danny elfman and he had an orchestra an entire orchestra with about 70 80 people in it he has also used some tom jones songs basically what is the best thing about this uh, movie is you do not really notice the background score it is there it is affecting you and it is affecting the storytelling beautifully 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 but it is so beautifully melded with the visuals that you don't look at it as a separate element it combines the whole thing synergizes into a beautiful whole and you don't know what to separate from what because it is all a completely nicely enmeshed piece of work precisely a good a perfect film would not let its elements stand out beyond 
the framework of the story yeah and uh, so i had to watch this movie several times to finally be able to notice the music absolutely. it is there of course you know those moments where there has to be a crescendo, scary thing yeah. a crescendo or where no dialogue is being spoken there is a gentle piece of music when kim and edward are talking to each other so those moments are there you can notice the music then but you don't realize its full impact in the first go and you spoke about how brilliantly the music becomes part of this film enmeshed in it so are the performances which are mind blowingly absolutely above par diane weest in this motherly role the role of peg alan arkin as the father winona ryder as kim i think every performance is top notch but obviously the one that stands above all of them precisely because he has very few words to speak in the film in fact overall in the film johnny depp has not more than 200 words that he speaks but it's his gestures his movements his slight smile his slight crick in the eye all of that become this perceptible dialogues literally to look at and say hey this is what edward is feeling hey this is what edward is going through and that almost becomes from a child's point of view becomes like a treat because it looks like we are watching charlie chaplin on screen except in a slightly more difficult when i say difficult makeup by the way the body has been made from that transformation that that johnny depp has had to do for this role bringing in all those elements this film becomes a treat to watch precisely because johnny depp does not need to speak a lot so it's interesting you talk about how he is very similar to charlie chaplin in his expressions and being mm-hmm. able to express without using a lot of dialogue it's interesting because johnny depp studied charlie chaplin's films before he started work on ah, this movie i didn't know that but so, yeah one can see them actually when he realized he doesn't have a lot to speak he decided to start watching charlie chaplin films to ensure he knows how to evoke maximum response with minimal dialogue how to just get sympathy from the audience without saying anything and he is brilliant and usually very ambivalent about whether johnny depp is a good actor or not i have never been able to make up my mind but whenever i watch edward scissorhands I'm like okay this guy he has substance. Secondly I was talking about the gothic and expressionistic influences in the film where you know the visual element where the things have been designed in a certain way. So when I look at something like the gothic influences now the story starts in the mansion so we will go there first. The gothic genre says that one of the things is the story should have a part of it happening in a castle or a mansion or something somewhere some broken down piece of architecture. which is what happens there is an atmosphere of mystery and suspense which is the second one the third one being there's an ancient prophecy now there is no ancient prophecy in this case but there is a sense of going back in time because this is a whole story told in flashback there is a sense of ancient prophecy precisely because the granddaughter asks this yes. question how does it yes. snow and the story progresses yes. from there then there are supernatural or otherwise inexplicable events like how does a creature just get created like that The recipe to that is very simple. <laughs> take some flour, take some sugar, a little bit of love and bake it. That's all. That's all you need for a good son or a daughter. You know, come to think of it, this is like bun in the oven kind yeah, of. Absolutely. <laughs> the metaphor stands so true. This is biscuit in the oven or triscuit in the oven. <laughs> Now, there are women in distress, which is Kim's character. She's in distress. Peg is in distress. All the women are distressed in this film. I have to say that. <laughs> no, but the genuinely distressed ones yeah, like I Peg. Yeah, I know. there is a lot of high overwrought emotion either it is not being able to express or it is being expressed very violently when you're talking about women in distress it's just a thought that came to me from a male child's point of view 
and there is a whole lot of gender bias that's going to come in when I'm going to talk about this. From a male child's point of view, a woman tends to become hysterical precisely because he has heard men talk about it like that. Yeah. The whole idea perpetrates because precisely. of conversation. So his view of these women right from the beginning is that they are chatty batty, destroying the world and They create whatever. a drama for yeah. no reason, whatever. And I don't particularly endorse these sort of conversations. But we have to accept the fact that this might have been Tim Burton's experience living in the suburb. Fair enough, fair enough. So, But that's what we are saying. Just because it has happened to a Tim Burton and just because he's talking about it in his movies does not mean it happens universally in every household. Then there is a woman who's being threatened by a powerful, impulsive, tyrannical male. There are so many symbols and signs like Edward's clanking of his scissor hands. They are very ominous sounding. In fact, as you're mentioning the clanking of his scissor hands, that is a very important aspect of the sound design and the music that you've talked about. Every time we have to understand what Edward is going through, we have to listen a little more carefully and you'll hear his scissors going in the mm. background and when it is going you can see he's anxious when it is going slow nice you can see he's falling in love there are all these subtle clues that connect and which is why the film is technically so brilliant you can see there are so many elements that make this a perfect gothic piece of work and if you are Tim Burton fans or if you are looking to explore Tim Burton movies please understand that he appreciates gothic aesthetics a lot and Almost all of his movies have this sensibility, in fact, which he, is also very beautifully done. In, in fact, fact, I think Tim Burton's greatest ability is to find happiness in places where there cannot be, from the normal, normal quote-unquote point of view, there cannot be any happiness. For example, he has found happiness with two corpses getting married to each other, a film called <laughs> Corpse Pride, which Shibangi will talk about later on. There is another thing I wanted to say. Now we've talked about the gothic influences in the movie, but then you come into the town and then you look at the coloured everything around you. Everything is pretty, everything is lovely. But you notice the windows in the houses, they are so tiny, they are so small. So the people, they are so paranoid that they don't even keep full windows where people can look into their own houses. They just want a hole small enough for themselves to be able to peek into other people's houses. That is also a comment on suburban life. This sounds something straight out of the German expressionism uh, yeah. the world that so, was created after First World War. Right. And there are those, you know, very jagged edges. There are those nooks and crannies. And the shadow play continues to happen even in the coloured parts of the movies. This whole beautiful contrast, visual contrast throughout the movie, I think works very, very nicely for me. So to take that idea forward, the lighting. I think that is a standout technical aspect. Standout, when I say standout, I mean when you focus on it, when you notice it, you realize the kind of emotions it is bringing about, especially in that one scene where Edward is gone absolutely nuts. And you see him standing in front of this block of ice and you see his scissors go to work. And you realize that despite all the anger, despite all the darkness around him, the faint light that plays with flecks of ice makes you feel so good, makes you feel like something new is going to happen. And that is exactly what happens with artists. Through their pain, they create something very interesting for the rest of the world to look at. And that particular situation where his anger turns into this brilliant, beautiful ice sculpture becomes the trope because of which the fable gets established in the end. And the lighting does this brilliant work. During the day, during the night, you see how even the contrast, as you talked about, the contrast in the castle and the town is very, very clear, the contrast there. But there is a contrast, for example, in the 
the only brunette that we actually see in the film is Edward. The rest of the town is the town of blondes. Now that gives you something else to think about as far as being different is concerned. So there are these very important artistic choices that are being he's made. He's pale because he's never seen sunlight. He's pale because he's never seen sunlight. Can and you see? see throughout. Actually, that is also a comment on Peg where Peg accepts Edward. She's also trying to put makeup on him so that his face becomes normal, which is just like any other mother would, <laughs> would do, you know. And I could be wrong about this, but as far as I have noticed, there is only one teenage girl in this entire town, probably because Edward is in love with her. He doesn't see any other teenager. He only sees mother figures and all of them behaving very, very weirdly with him. So this confusion of his own mother, as the movie progresses, we can assume that Peg is his own mother. You look at the first scene where the haircuts are given. Look at how the other women are reacting, all of them supposed mother figures and his own new mother is reacting. And you can see this huge difference between how a mother would look at her child's work versus how someone else would look at her child's work. This contrast is brought out brilliantly throughout the film by using amazing lighting cues, by using darkness and as you rightly said in the gothic world by using shadows. Let's come to our favourite scenes now. What are yours? Don't you think we've already spoken about so many scenes? People by now should have realised that this is a very good film and all scenes are favourite. But we have to do our job. Let's just quickly mention them, why don't we? If I have to talk about one scene, it's the climax. I mean, just the way the ice sculptures turn into the snow for the town. In fact, even the grandmother doesn't say that explicitly to the granddaughter. She starts off by telling the story that you know how snow comes and she goes into telling the story of Edward and at the end we see Edward living in the castle alone with his art creating ice sculptures and you realize that as an audience it's left up to you to decide whether that is the snow for the town or not and I think the way the light works there the way the cinematography is it turns into this beautiful poetic scene for me because it connects me with the earlier scene where Edward for the first time discovers that he's he can be a brilliant ice sculptor. I will quickly digress and talk about the Super Bowl ad that came out recently about a Cadillac. Where it is shown what if Kim had married Edward. So Kim has a son, Edgar, played by Timothy Chalamet. Their adventures as the two of them go about the world in a Cadillac. Look up the ad on YouTube. It's a Super Bowl ad. It's quite interesting. If you like the movie, you will like the ad. My favorite scenes... One is when the inventor dies, absolute heartbreak and Edward not being natural creation and not having met many people and not having understood the life cycle does not understand what has happened to his creator. So when the creator, the inventor dies from what I can assume is a heart attack because of the way it is portrayed, he tries to wake him up by touching his cheek, ends and up yeah. slitting his cheek with his scissor hands, looks at it and then just assumes that he has fallen asleep and he walks away from there. There is this absolute top shot that looks at the inventor, esteemed actor Vincent Price, just lying on the floor like that. I don't know if you know this, Abhinav, but Vincent Price had actually passed out of heat and exhaustion in that scene. So that shot has remained. And this was his last working role. His last shot ever was that of dying on screen. Oh my God. When he dies and later when Edward is asked by somebody, where is your father? He says he never woke up. 
Yeah. He still doesn't know what dying means. He doesn't know what living means. When you see flashbacks of Edward with the inventor, you will see Edward as a relatively healthier looking, calm creature. He has got better hairstyle. And when Peg meets him for the first time, you notice dark shadows under his eyes. He's pale. His skin has become completely sallow. His hair his has, hair has into- become completely unkempt. Slowly, we see him recovering as he's spending time in the town. When the inventor dies, imagine this boy, the only person in the world who knows him, a parent, a father, a mother also because the inventor has yeah, birthed him. Absolutely. Everything that this boy knows is gone. And he doesn't know why it is gone. He doesn't know if it will come back. He in fact doesn't even know for sure at that point whether it's gone or not. Imagine during the pandemic, we were all living with our families or maybe even away from them. We, but we had the benefit of calling them up and talking to them and you know, making video calls as well. But when you look at this boy who knows nothing about life, him dealing with uncertainty of that kind, imagine what must be going through that boy's head. That was a very, very painful scene for me. But because it has been done so well, I could not help but talk about it as one of my favorite scenes. The other one I want to talk about is the dinner table scene after the burglary that has just happened, where Peg is constantly trying to ask, just like a mother would, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? What was going on in your mind? The father is immediately going into theories, ethics. Let's talk about this. You find a $100 bill on the ground. What do you do with this? Option A, option B, option C, option D. I mean, out of all of those options, nothing is absolutely wrong because ethics, they're so subjective. And Kim then comes in and tries to break the tension by saying what Edward is saying necessarily may not be the rightest thing to do, but it definitely is the sweetest thing to do. In fact, that is another central piece of this film. What is right and what is wrong? That debate rages throughout the film. So, like you said, from there I was going into this whole idea of what is absolutely right versus what is sweet. Peg realizes at the end of the movie when the whole town is running after Edward, she realizes bringing Edward was probably nice in her head probably made her feel nice because she was able to demonstrate compassion and sensitivity. But it definitely did not turn out to be nice for Edward because Edward has gotten into all sorts of trouble with everybody and not because of who he is. It is because because of of how how others are. So this distinction between right and wrong is also being shown as a very grey area. What do you say, Abhinav? And that is exactly what happens in the climax. From a grown-up's point of view, it is a very clear-cut scenario of where something has happened and some consequence needs to follow in its wake. But from these teenagers, from these children's point of view, and I'm referring to them as teenagers, as children, even if on screen they look like adults, they are definitely playing 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds. At best, 17-year-olds, not more than that. And from that point of view, the kind of justice, quote-unquote, that Kim meets out in the end for the town, for Edward, for herself and for Jim is a very interesting form of justice. She finds a solution in which some of the sacrifices have to be made by her and have to be made by Edward. Jim has already made a huge sacrifice and the town also will have to make sacrifices of whatever gains they were getting from Edward and letting go of that. And by letting go of those transactions that they were having, they can now go back to their separate spaces and live happily. So the right thing would have been for her to take Edward to the cops and say, hey, he killed my boyfriend Jim or my ex-boyfriend Jim. Or the moral thing to do would have been to take the human being who has killed another human being to the justice system. It's not just about my boyfriend or anybody else's boyfriend also. 
but the sweetest thing is to ensure that everybody lives peacefully and stops bothering the others so edward is left alone she can live alone without worrying about what's happening to edward peg can live by herself without worrying what's happening to edward and the rest of the town can live in peace thinking okay edward is dead now nobody is coming down to kill our children or the town know. is safe yeah these were my two favorite scenes you have to pay attention to the interactions between edward and the rest of the town each of the interaction is almost happening in a world where those people are stereotypes those people are specific archetypes representing a certain behavior representing a certain thing and how edward deals with that so those interactions are quite amazing to look at precisely because of johnny depp's performance those interactions become standout interactions let's talk about similar films your recommendations the first is et the extraterrestrial just to observe differences and similarities in how we treat others that are different from us and we are plugging ourselves in go and listen to episode number 4 how we treat somebody who's different from us how we look at them how we think about them how we talk about them how we take care of them or don't the second is corpse bride which is also another beautiful gothic animation fantasy film by tim burton again from the beautiful like animation studios and it talks about being able to give up what you think is extremely special and you can't live without the third is a beautiful john cusack movie directed by cameron crow called say anything which talks about equality mutual respect and consent in all relationships it's a romantic film for teenagers but it hits all the right marks in every way what are yours three recommendations a george miller film called babe it's a part animated part live action film the story of a pig who finds support who finds connections with the rest of the farm animals and ends up helping the human being this is the story of a pig who goes beyond the brief of being a pig that connects with the weird not so weird world a film by wes anderson another favorite director of ours a film called moonrise kingdom weird is what you will get when you seek wes anderson go watch this film how weird a love story can be the uh, color scheme in tim burton's colorful town and, and wes, wes anderson's Anderson all films they're, they're, they're quite similar. alike absolutely yeah so moonrise kingdom a weird wonderfully weird teenage love story about a weird town with weird parents and weird role models and everything weird about it and that is normal the third film a very poignant very impressive and extremely interesting film that we watched in recent times a 2013 film called the kings of summer directed by jordan watt roberts it's a film that's a coming of age comedy it's not a recommendation for children but this is the story of children this is a story of teenagers but it is a recommendation for parents who are looking to understand what their teenagers are going through you have to watch this film to truly understand the challenges the kind of struggles that teenagers are dealing with and the kind of thoughts that are at the top of their mind they are looking to break away they are looking to create a world of their own from that point of view this film connects with edward scissorhands please watch babe moonrise kingdom and the kings of summer those are the recommendations from me finally we come to the questions my first question is what do you mean by normal no one knows everything about the world anyway so how does one decide what is normal and what isn't my second question would be how do you feel when people discriminate on the basis of looks can you and your child exchange notes and talk about some instances when people have made such discriminatory statements 
and what you did or what you should have done at that time the third is who are the people in the movie who are genuinely nice to edward and how does it make a difference to edward's life basically why is being nice to people a good thing when we are saying why is being nice to people a good thing we are not saying nice for the sake of nice we are saying genuinely look for what are the great qualities of the person in front of you mm. and then appreciate them converse with them exchange information with mm. them i just actually have two questions in fact one of them is related to the one that uh, you have spoken about what is normal in that same context talk about morality talk about what is right what is wrong talk about what is sweet what is not so sweet and so on and this entire idea of morality gets muddled as we jump across religions as we jump across regions as we jump across languages and so on so from that point of view if you are talking about your child being a global citizen what kind of morality what kind of ideas would need to sit in their mind the second is actually a much bigger discussion point for all the parents and their children talk about ideas like sex love loneliness intimacy and friendship this is a very important conversation as far as your teenage child is concerned and this is a very interesting movie to launch into these conversations you don't have to get into the details of how everything is done you have to talk about what your child is experiencing and what are their views about it we know we have proposed a difficult film but you have been journeying with us for nine films already so i think the 10th one could be a little bit of a curveball with this we come to the end of our episode we had a great deal of fun watching the film making our notes and talking about all sorts of tricky areas the conversations about the film could lead into and we are so happy to be able to present it to you we hope you have fun watching the film i hope it opens up completely new avenues of conversation with your children and about a whole lot of things we wish you a lovely time ahead have fun see you soon bye bye happy snipping cinema my child and me is brought to you by breakfast at cinema working in the areas of education of cinema and education through cinema since 2014 with children and adults of all ages music brought to you by young and enthusiastic supporters of our podcast their love and talent has made this journey all the more interesting introduction music by 10 year old arkansh pande on the clarinet episode introduction by idhya shalab age 10 on the piano and idhan shalab age 6 on the violin closing music by 7 year old drishan pande on the piano we would also like to thank cinema lovers and makers across the world it is their passion which drives us